You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. Hey, uh, you know, the last time they asked me to come up on the stage to preach was Memorial Day weekend. I'm spotting a pattern here <laughs> on this holiday weekend preaching. Um, I'm glad to get to be here and, and share with you this morning. It's been a busy uh, weekend in the Cunnington household. Uh, my youngest uh, child, Abigail, turns four tomorrow, and yesterday we had a little uh, birthday party for her. This is a picture of Abigail right here. So we took this in the New Forest uh, back in, in England uh, this summer we, uh, where we got to go and have a great time. And uh, yeah, so we had a birthday party and uh, my wife Emma loves to bless our kids at their birthday parties with cake. She likes to make a cake and put it in theme with what their birthday party is going to be. And uh, for some reason, Abigail just doesn't like cake. So our cake yesterday was donuts. And uh, she is truly an American child, and she loves her donuts. Uh, but nonetheless, Emma is a great cake maker. She loves to make cakes, and if you've ever been blessed to uh, try it, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. But some people don't possess this skill. Uh, let me show you some pictures of some cakes made lovingly by their parents for their kids. Oh, gosh. Yep, Hulk. And oh, my gosh. That really is the stuff of nightmares right there. But, uh, you know, at least they tried, right? At least, at least they tried. And I feel like that is uh, true in my life, that statement so much, at least you tried. You know, you, you're trying to do the right thing and it just doesn't go right. You just fail. And um, sometimes it's trivial things like making a cake. Sometimes it's less trivial and in, in, in relation to our faith and trying to follow Christ and do the right thing, we don't always get it right. You know, it doesn't always look how we think it's supposed to. And um, we're going to take a look today at Scripture, a particular character in the New Testament that seemed to just try but get it wrong and, and just repeatedly see this pattern in his life and, and how does he respond to his own failure and then how does Jesus respond to his failures. And um, we see, in the, if you look in the Gospels, the four, the four Gospels, you'll see John, the beloved disciple, mentioned 20 times, same number of times as Judas. Um, you'll see Andrew mentioned 12 times. You'll see Thomas the Doubter mentioned 10 times. You'll see Peter, or Simon, mentioned 120 times. That's a lot. And when I see this, this pattern, there's a lot of times that he's mentioned that this, this pattern of trying to do the right thing and not quite getting it is, is kind of what you see. And the very first meeting between Peter and Jesus is in John 1, verse 35. It says, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him for that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, 
Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. By the way, if you look at the story of Andrew, this is what you see Andrew doing. He, he brings people to Jesus. Every time you see him, that's kind of his role here among, among the disciples. He just, it was a bringer. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So like Peter's very first encounter with Jesus, Jesus looks at him and says, your future is not going to be the same as what you think it is. I have a different future for you, I have a purpose for you, and I'm going to change your name to, to Peter, which means rock, and, and you are going to, as we'll learn, have a different journey than the one that you're currently taking. This is a weird first encounter, kind of Peter leaves from this, this moment, and he kind of goes back to what he was doing, he goes back to his fishing boats, and it's kind of where we see uh, the story pick up. He hasn't shown any real evidence of, uh, of change, of anything being any different. And Luke 5, it, it tells us on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. There's like, there's three things really you can kind of take from Peter's response to Jesus telling him to put back the nets. Number one, the nets were already washed, <laughs> Like, they were washing them, they were cleaning them, they were getting them up, ready for the next time. This was a failure tonight. If we didn't catch any fish, we're done. We're going to get that algae and all that dirt out of there so we don't rot. We're going to get them put away for the next time, or hopefully we'll be more successful. Secondly, he wants them tired. You know, fishing at night was not necessarily an odd thing to do. A lot of fishing was done uh, outside of the blazing sun where there would be less shadows and more fish would be caught uh, when they went at night, but he was tired. And, uh, and so this isn't the right time to fish. I'm tired, my nets are clean, I'm, I'm done. But he says, and in his response, we kind of imagine, or I do at least, that Peter rolling his eyes and saying, if you say so, you know, it's just kind of this reluctant obedience. And so he puts it in and he pulls out a huge catch of fish, so much so that the boat begins to sink. And this won't be the first time that Peter gets a sinking feeling in his ministry. We're going to see this, okay? Um, and I just think Jesus is watching this whole thing and says, for Pete's sake. <laughs> you know, maybe it's why he named him Peter. I don't really know. But, uh, you know, this moment. And so he has this, like, hesitant obedience. I don't really think it's going to produce I, I'm you know I'm reluctant to do it but because you say so I'll do it and there's something really amazing to me about that kind of obedience to Christ like I don't really think it's going to I'm hesitant I'm reluctant but I'll do it anyway this to me speaks massive things about Peter's character and perhaps why he was picked out by Jesus right early on from, from the start I don't know if you've ever been there like 
you've been a little bit skeptical about doing what God has called us to do, and you've not really had a lot of belief that it was going to produce good things. Things aren't really going to change, but you do do it anyway. You know, some of you may have been here last week when uh, Derek was, was talking about marriage and, and how, you know, we, wives need to submit and men need to lead in a way that leads their wife to want to submit and that causes a lot of sacrifice, a lot of love that is, is there. And, and it's, we can listen to a message like that and say, okay, I will do better. I will try harder. I will make more sacrifices, but I don't, I don't see how it's going to change anything. I don't see how my marriage is going to change, but I, I'll do it. I'll do what I'm called to do. Others of us may think about getting involved in a, in a particular freedom group. We know that it's going to be helpful. We know it's going to produce. Everyone tells us it's going to change my life, right? But we're hesitant because we know it's going to be hard. We're, we're not sure what the outcome's going to be. Is going to be embarrassing. Is someone going to tell my story to someone else? We have this, this hesitant obedience. We do it, but we're skeptical of how the results are going to be. And this is Peter's kind of faith. And, and once he does that, uh, and, and he uh, kind of does what Jesus is telling him to do, even when he's hesitant, he pulls in this fish, and his response is one almost of being embarrassed. Or humiliated. And he says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Like, he, he almost just says, I, why did, I doubted you. Like, I'm not worthy to be around you. I didn't believe you. And please just depart from me. I, I'm just a sinful man. And, and this shame that Peter is kind of sharing in, in his words to Jesus is one that, you know, perhaps you may have felt. You've messed up. You've made mistakes. And you have so much embarrassment and shame and wish that you'd have done things right. And Jesus responds to his shame with purpose. Like he responds to Peter saying, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. And he tells him, do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. Like there's forgiveness in Jesus' voice. There's a new mission that he's given. Even in his like hesitant obedience and even in his doubt we're starting to see Jesus giving him do-overs. Do-overs is an important part of Peter's life, and it's an important part of our life. So Peter's response to Jesus giving him this second chance and giving him this purpose is it tells us that he dropped his nets. It says that Peter immediately drops his nets and follows Jesus. And this would have been a really significant thing for Peter because when he lets go of that net he's letting go of his livelihood you know he's letting go of the old reliable he's letting letting go of something that he's trusted that he's been able to depend on that has brought him income that has brought him food his whole identity is probably surrounded with fishing and he's known for it. He's probably somewhat good at it, you know. And now he's having to let go of his nets and open his hands and let it go. And, and to me, it's a, it's a significant thing that Peter does when Jesus tells him, do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And it leads me to ask myself the question, do I have my own safety net? Like, is, is there something in my life that I would be unwilling to 
let go of if Jesus called me to? Is there other things in my life? I love Jesus. I want to follow him. But are there other things that I've pulled into my life that I depend on, that I rely on, that give me identity and, and so, have given me so much comfort that they would be hard to let go? And, and maybe you have things that come to your mind when you think about that question. For Peter, letting go of the net was letting go of control. And that's a, that's a scary thing for many of us. You know, this isn't the only time that we see uh, Peter getting himself in trouble and finding himself in a sinking situation. Uh, Matthew 14, in verse 22, there's a story we're going to read together. It said, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. This is right after uh, the feeding of the 5,000. So they're seeing miracles happen, great things are going on. And he says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and, Jesus, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? For Pete's sake. <laughs> Here, we, we look at this story. A lot of times we look at this story, and, and we're going to get to talking about how people view Peter in this story. But, you know, I hear a lot of people looking at this story and, and talking about it in this way that, that the storm is kind of like the things that happen in our life that are hard, that are painful, that are scary, that are difficult. And, and then when we get into those situations, we ought to be looking to Jesus and not keeping our eyes on the situation. You know, that's kind of what you hear a lot of times people take from that. You know, they, they might talk about a sudden diagnosis, you know, an illness that just has, has come upon you. Maybe it's a, uh, a divorce paper. Maybe someone close to you just suddenly passes away. Maybe it's a pandemic that keeps you uh, in isolation from people that you, you care about. An unexpected termination of employment. And in, and in those moments, those things that just spring upon us in our life that are so hard and we don't know what to do and they're scary and there's unknown and there's sadness and grief that we just need to focus on God and he'll get us through and don't focus on the situation and don't get too worried. And I don't think that that is a bad thing to take from this passage. I don't think that it is untrue. In, in the hardest times in our life, we ought to look to God. But I don't think it's the main point that, that, that this story is really trying to get across. Because this storm wasn't just something that happened to Peter. This is 
a storm that Peter chose to step out onto. <laughs> like it, it, it was a choice that he made to demonstrate something of a fearful obedience. You know, we may see this hesitant obedience that he had in, in the early story, and then today we see that he has this afraid, fearful obedience. That I am scared, but if you say the word, I'm going to do this. It's almost like he's daring Jesus. I'm, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to trust you. If you tell me to do it, I'll do it. You know, we were much more inclined to do that when we were kids than we were today. I'll save those stories, though. But I, I, think, but I do think it's a mark of maturity. I do think it's a mark of maturity that Peter is, is stepping out. And let's not forget, he's the first and only disciple to speak up in this moment. When, when, he, when they all are scared and they all see Jesus walking on the water, he's the first one to speak up and it's something that becomes a little bit of a, a pattern in his life. And later on, we see in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus is asking, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, the disciples, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Crickets. <laughs> He's asking all of the disciples this group question, and is it rhetorical? Does he want me to answer? Peter's the one who breaks the silence. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He makes this confession. He's the first one to, to speak up. And he's not just the first one to speak out, he's the only one to step out on this water. And the disciples have all had these shared experiences. They all have the same opportunity. Just two chapters earlier, we see a different story of a storm that Jesus is with the disciples. In, in Mark 4, it says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was asleep in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. So the disciples were all together. This was before the walking on the water story. They, they've been out and they've seen Jesus do a miracle and protect them and calm the storm with his own voice. Yet Peter is still the only one who would step up and step out of the boat and, and take a, a kind of a step of faith, as we like to say, right? The others were silent. And it's, it's just, it's a weird thing. And you look at these two stories and then the Jesus sleeping in the boat storm, he tells all the disciples, you have no faith. In this story, he tells Peter, you have little faith. So at least it's progress, right? It's kind of like moving at least somewhat in the right direction. But, you know, Peter doesn't love to have this response from Jesus. We already 
can see that like in, in where he fails and makes a mistake, he kind of beats himself up about it. He, he has these phrases that make you seem like he is embarrassed and, and has shame. And here's Jesus now uh, calling him a man of little faith. But I wonder if he recalls that further story and realizes, no, I've moved on. I had no faith, now I have a little faith. And it's a progressive journey that I am on with Jesus. You know, all of the disciples had memories of Jesus calming the storm with just a word. They all have this memories, they all have this emotional damage that came from that moment. But Peter was the only one that said, I'm not going to make the same mistake again. You know, all of the disciples, as they were, if, especially if they were fishermen, would have known this, this psalm. Some people called this a fisherman's psalm. Some people called it the sailors, the psalm of the sailors. And it's in Psalm 107. It says, For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Like this was a psalm that they would have memorized to bring them comfort and to bring them courage when they were going through their own literal storms. Like they knew the scriptures. They had that memorized. <laughs> they had experienced Jesus' literal miracle calming the sea. But only Peter had the courage to act and to step out. It, and sometimes I think we, we know the right things that we should be doing. And, and sometimes we even commit to doing it. We say we will do it. But it's the actual act of doing the right thing and following God that we start to see the storms. It's when the hard things start to happen. It's when the test really is coming. And this is where we get to see if we have the courage to really live out this Christian life. To, to follow Jesus in a way that isn't just saying yes when things are easy, but it's sticking with my yes when the storm comes. And when things really do get hard, it's a, it's a fearful obedience. It's a, it's, a, it's a courage when things are challenging. I don't know if you have ever decided to do something that was an obedient response to God and then have just totally regretted it because it just got hard. After you did what, what was the right thing or something God was calling you to do, it got hard afterwards. And it makes you like, where are you in this? You know, why is this happening? And it kind of makes you second guess. Doing the right thing doesn't seem very beneficial right now. Yes, I'll join that freedom group. I know I'll need it. You get into the group and you realize, I've got to share really hard things about things that have happened in my family. Yes, I'll go to that marriage counseling. Well, and, and now he's saying all these things but he's never told me before that have bothered him, it's just hard. Yes, I will be more generous and commit finances to God's cause. And then here's the car breaking down. 
You know, it's after the yes that things get hard and your yes gets tested. Yes, I will support the Dallas Cowboys until I die. <laughs> it never gets easier. <laughs> you know, we want to quit. We want to change our mind. We, we want to go back. We want to get back in the boat. But it's in those moments when things really get hard that we call out like Peter did, and Jesus responds, it says, immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. He's always there with us when things get hard. He always helps us. He always gives us the things that we need. But we allow our circumstances to really just to freak us out and to scare us. Now, stepping out is the right thing to do, even if he was scared. And even when he did mess up, Jesus responded to to Peter's little faith by saving him and helping him. Little uh, little side note here: the uh, the other disciples stayed in their safe little boat, the little boat dwellers. You know, John Ortberg uh, he wrote a book called "If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Step Out of the Boat," and he calls the other disciples boat potatoes that they were just there, they were there the whole time, and you know, this kind of story ends with Peter being saved by Jesus, and they get back into the boat in verse 32, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now think about what Peter must have been thinking about the rest of the disciples back then, because now it's calm, now you worship him. Now everything's settled and you're safe in your boat while I'm soaking, dripping wet in a ball on the bottom of the floor of the boat. Here you are worshipping him. And I don't know, this isn't necessarily something that you will read in this passage, but it is something that God put on my heart when I read it this week. You know, that you're going to have boat dwellers in your life, (laughs) You're going to have people who are not helping you to do the right thing even when it's hard. They're just watching. And, and they're not stepping out in their own journey of faith to do the right thing that's hard. And, and if you have those people in your life, their opinions are not really worth that much. The people are precious to God and loved by God. But the opinions of boat dwellers are not the ones that should guide your life decisions. The people you really need to spend time with and, and listening to and, and trying to, to kind of replicate is the people who are making the hard decisions and sticking at it when things get hard, when they're trying to follow God and they're trying to do the right things and everything doesn't seem to go right after they said yes to doing the right thing. And God shows up in their life and helps them. You'll gain courage from spending time with people like that. Seeing God at work in their life. And and, and gaining advice from people who are in a storm, but they don't give up. They don't back up. And um, it's hard because we all think of of boat dwellers. And we've all been boat dwellers. And and, and it's, it's a decision that we have to make to step out of the boat, and, and it's a hard one. You know, the story um, continues all the way through the Gospels of Peter's life, and we really just didn't have time to, to look at all of the times that uh, Peter made mistakes. Um, 
some of the more famous times uh, surround the death of Jesus. He denies him three times. He attacks one of the servants and cuts off his ear with a sword. And Jesus picks it up and heals him. At the crucifixion, he runs from the scene. And there's these moments that continually happen in, in Peter's life where he just makes errors and makes mistakes. And it's after all of these things that have happened after the, the death and the, at the resurrection of Jesus that we see this story of Peter in John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. There's this kind of tone that I read into Peter's words of, I'm going back to what I am familiar with. I'm going back to what I was good at. I'm going back to my former identity. And, and for some of us, going back, if we're very honest, is, is a very unhealthy place. Going back to old habits going back to submitting to particular character defects in our life and, and stepping back to who we uh, were before we said yes to following Christ is not a good thing. And, and Peter goes back and others go with him. And in verse 3, it says, They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Emptiness. And when I read these few verses... And think about life when you go back to what your life was like prior, my life was like prior to following Christ. It was full of emptiness. And it's just some significance in this little part of the story that for some of us, we are tempted to go back to our old ways. And you need to remember this morning, it did not fulfill you then. It will not fulfill you today. Going back doesn't change the results. Doing those things that you used to do and, and, and felt a void from does not suddenly become fulfilling today. They caught nothing. There was emptiness. And, they, and it continues in verse 4. Just, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Does this story sound familiar? Like the way that Jesus called Peter to follow him and gave him a life of, of purpose at the very beginning is how he's coming back to him in this story after Peter has failed so many times. 
He's coming back to Peter with this repeated image and reminder of the purpose that he had for him. And then they barbecued fish. (laughs) And they sat and they ate and they talked. And there's an encounter that Peter has with Jesus that is probably the most restoring conversation that happens in Scripture when Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And he confesses three times, yes, I love you. And, and there's this, this moment where the three times that he denied Jesus, he's able to be restored and, and to remember and know that, that Jesus doesn't leave him even when he's failed and denied him. Jesus doesn't give up on Peter. And for me, this encounter is, is more powerful than even the story of the prodigal son because this isn't a parable. Like this, is, this is a real event that would have meant so much to Peter. And I have to ask myself, of all of the ways that Jesus could have shown himself and revealed himself to his disciples after he had been resurrected, why did he show, why did he choose to reveal himself in this way to Peter? It is for Pete's sake. It is for his benefit. It is for uh, a reminder of Peter that that Jesus isn't ever going to leave him. It isn't ever going to give up on him. He still has that same purpose. He's still going to fish for men. Whatever reluctant obedience Peter has had, whatever fearful obedience he's had, whatever mistakes he's made, Jesus is not going to leave him. And it's the same for us. He's never going to leave us. He's always going to be there to help you. He has grace for you. He has a purpose for you. And he has forgiveness for you. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Everything that Jesus has done in, in your life, everything that he has helped you with, the unending forgiveness that you have experienced, we see in 2 Corinthians, is for our sake. He loves us so much that he's never going to give up, no matter how many times we fail and make those errors in our life. And, and I just want to encourage this morning that the things that you have been reluctantly obedient to and feel like giving up, don't give up. You know, those things that you've been afraid of, of doing the right thing because you, you just can foresee the trouble and the, and the pain that, that it could cause and the, the sacrifices it might require. Be obedient to God's call in your life. Do what he's called you to do. Don't turn back and go back to old ways of living before you said yes to God. Continue, continue with him and know that he is with you. And if you have been tempted and are tempted to, res- to, to go back to your old ways of life, know that Jesus can restore you. 
and he wants to restore you. And I've experienced it over and over again in my own life. And he wants you to experience that in your life. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that uh, you, you do never give up on us. No matter how many errors and mistakes that we make, you are consistent, you are never changing. And I pray for every person in this room that uh, has had come to mind this morning uh, things that they have been disobedient in, reluctant in, mistakes that they've made, temptations that they have experienced, that God, that, that they would know this morning that your grace is enough for them, forgiveness is available to every one of us, and you have a purpose for every person in this room. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Chris. Yes. Wanted to, uh, again, thank you for that word. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Um, always so challenging. Always great to hear. Uh, always great to hear from you. You always bring it. Um, I am, yeah, absolutely. I am up here to be a little bit annoying, but, you know, it's my job. Um, if you wouldn't mind giving about two to three to maybe five minutes after we dismiss, uh, would you help us move the chairs out of here? Just pull them apart and move them against the wall, you think? Is that probably? Yeah, just against the wall. We're going to stack them up to get ready for yearly, which is this coming Friday and Saturday. Sign up if you haven't already. And, uh, but that would really help us a lot. The more, the merrier. It goes by really fast. God bless you all. Hopefully see you Friday. If not, we'll see you Sunday.